I don't need no mic. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Oh, they let you change the name of your college or your own name. Throw on a dashiki. Because guess what? They still going to drag your black ass to Vietnam to shoot a pole rice farmer get shot your damn self. Political power doesn't flow from the sleeve of a dashiki. Political power flows from the barrel of a gun. We in the Black Panther Party don't believe in no culture except revolutionary culture. What we mean by that is a culture that will free you. Don't give me no five and dime costume of a medicine man or a witch doctor or whatever you think the motherland look like. Give me an AK-47 or some bandoliers that they got in there go. Give me some Coke 45s or the folks that are trying to free themselves. I'm Elvis Mitchell. We're back with our second episode of the official podcast of Judas and the Black Messiah, the electrifying film that everyone is talking about. The film centers on Chairman Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party chapter he led in Chicago until its assassination in 1969. We're looking at the making of the film and the real-life story that inspired it. And just a quick note that there will be some spoilers. Later in this episode, Mama Akua and Jerry, she's Chairman Jr.'s mother, and she was with Chairman Sr. the night he was assassinated. They were never married, but she and Chairman Jr. refer to her as Chairman Fred Sr.'s widow. I'll talk to Mother Akua about seeing their relationship and her life performed on screen. But first, here's Chairman Fred Hampton's son, Chairman Jr., and Ryan Coogler. Well, nephew. Chairman, how you doing? Hey, hey keep my head up on this scene. How you? How you holding up? I'm hanging in there. Ryan is a producer on the film. Chairman calls him nephew. He's really fond of Ryan. They bonded when the filmmakers first approached Chairman and his family, asking for their blessing to make the film. It still took 18 months of convincing. And because Chairman Jr. had already taken to him, Ryan led that effort, flying out to Chicago, showing Chairman raw footage, going over scripts and ideas. Ryan's from Oakland, California, birthplace of the Black Panthers. He has family members who were in the party. Surely that helped Chairman trust him, but it did not make the process a breeze. Sometimes Chairman and his family would travel from Chicago to Cleveland where the film was being shot. They critiqued everything, the sets, the costumes, the dialogue. Chairman Jr., who spent the most time on the set, would point out issues that he had with the way the film was portraying the Black Panthers, especially his father. In the past, filmmakers and writers who wanted permission to tell Chairman Sr.'s story had approached the family. Some of those requests came with money, which would have made a big impact on their lives. Still, they refused. And I remember how cautious you were with each step. And you would always say to us, even though I'm not signed on yet, you guys are doing well by us just getting this far. (laughs) Yes, real talk. Could you speak to that a little bit? Just the process of, of even getting to the point of considering. Yes, indeed. To put it in context, you know, um, you know, I talked about a number of occasions about when I, was, when I was 12 years old, and there's a proposal brought to my mother in regards to this book. And it was one of those winners when our, our gas was cut off at the, at the home. And the proposed book was depicting the police in particular. It was like a, a propaganda piece to build the police up. And I said, well, if this happens, you can translate to our gas being cut back on the house. And she was like, this is no-go. I recall a principal stand she took then. Family members and even other Black Panthers would say to Mother Akua, 
Why not take one of those offers? You all could really use that money. Some people say, well, the story got to be told regardless of what, of what expense. And the process of the struggles, you know, since the times that y'all came out here to send the dialogue and respect and actually hear, you know, send to hear the framework and the protection we hold with this legacy. And the screenplay, one of the bigger moments that I remember in terms of these struggles, do you remember coming to the production office and we were talking about Spurgeon Jake Winters? The story of Chicago Black Panther Spurgeon Jake Winters is particularly important to Chairman Jr. In the film, Jake is played by Algie Smith. In one scene, Jake goes to the hospital to visit his friend and fellow Panther Jimmy Palmer, who's been injured in a shootout with the police. The cop guarding Jimmy's room won't let Jake in, so Jake stands in the hallway and recites a poem, loud enough for his friend to hear on the other side of the door. If we must die, let us not be like hogs. Come on. Jimmy, kid. How you holding up, man? You got five seconds to fuck off. One, two, three. All right, that's it. All right. I'm going to get with you, Jimmy. In reality, Jake was a devoted member of the Panthers' Illinois chapter. He was a teenager, just a few years younger than Chairman Sr. After finishing high school, Jake passed up multiple college scholarships so he could focus his energy on the party. One day, Jake and another party member got into a shootout with the police. Jake and two cops were killed. According to the Black Panthers, Jake and his comrade had been attacked, and they both acted in self-defense. But an early version of the film's script portrayed the same event the other way around, as if Jake had ambushed the cops. This really concerned Chairman Jr., who wanted to make sure the filmmakers were getting the Panthers' story of Jake, and not what the FBI or others had written about this man. So he went to the production office and sat down with Ryan and the other filmmakers. You asked us, you know, we talked about, like, you know, them crafting the script and what books were read and what papers were read about that, and you asked us if we read any Panther papers. Right on. Right on. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, 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 and that question, when you asked that question, the room went silent. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Chairman Jr. wanted to know where they'd gotten this version of Jake's life. After all, the Black Panthers armed themselves for defense of the party and their communities. Ambushing the police went against what the Panthers stood for, and Jake Winters was a committed Black Panther. As Ryan saw it, Chairman was also asking a bigger question about whether or not they were doing their due diligence. And in this case, Ryan hadn't. And I felt, I'm going to tell you what I felt, I felt a sense of shame. You know, being honest with you, because my, my aunts typed some of them papers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know where I'm from. Yeah, no doubt. Yes, indeed. You've been there. Like, you, know, we watched, you know, and when I thought about that, I said, man, not only was this group fighting, but they were also documenting while they were fighting. <laughs> yes, man. They were documenting in their, own, in their own voice, in their own words, with their own fingers, with their own resources. And still, because we've been trying filmmaking in a Western style, media in a Western style, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we came up in these systems. You had to ask us that, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? And I remember the room got quiet and you were passionate at the time, <laughs> to say the least, you know? And that character in the film, mean something to you. Yes. Wanting Ryan to really understand how important Jake Winter's story was to him, Chairman Jr. even shared that Jake is also one of his middle names. You told me your, your full name. That man's name is in your name, you know? And how the moments of his death were something that the film had to get correctly. 
Jake is who Chairman wanted me to be named after. That's the name that Chairman wanted me to have. And but Jake, um, there's a story that sticks to this day in the community of defending himself. You know what I'm saying? And Jake Winters was a, as Chairman Fred would say, a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yes, indeed. So they adjusted the script. In the film, someone calls the police on Jake. They pursue him, there's a shootout, and Jake is killed. After the real Jake Winters died, the Black Panther newspaper eulogized him as a much-beloved brother, a revolutionary, and the baddest son of slaves that ever came from the womb of woman. The paper compared Jake to Black Panther Party co-founder Huey Newton and to Malcolm X. Chairman Jr. says he got his middle name because his father really cared for Jake. That affection is captured in Judas and the Black Messiah. Towards the end of the film, the Panthers and their allies are discussing how to pool resources to help Chairman Sr. flee the country. It's that or go back to prison to serve out his five-year sentence for stealing ice cream. But Chairman Sr. wanted that money to be used in a different way. Y'all spending all this time talking about me going to Algerian bungalows, and you need to be talking about how we going to build this motherfucking medical clinic. It's a five-year bid. You know how many people we could save in five years? With a medical clinic? In the middle of the west side? Name after Jake. So when people hear the name Jake Winners, they think about healing and loving, like he loved us. This is true. The Chicago Panthers opened the health clinic on the west side, and they named it the Spurgeon Jake Winters Free People's Medical Care Center. Between 1968 and 69, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover targeted militant black nationalist organizations and called the Panthers the greatest threat to internal security of the country. During those same years, a lawyer for the Black Panthers charged that the police killed 28 party members. Others were in prison or in exile. Hoover vowed to obliterate the Panthers by the end of 69. Jake was killed in November of that year. Less than a month later, police murdered Chairman Fred Hampton in his bed. And um, one of the other things I, I, I remember, Chairman, was um, the last time we came to see you um, in Chicago, and it was me yeah. and D'Angelo, um, D'Lo, yeah. as we call and somebody Walker up with, his uncle was in the was in the party. Yes, indeed. And I remember we sat there, man, in the house, you know, and um, we showed you some footage of something we shot when you when you when you uh, yeah. when you wasn't there, you know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you had a reaction, you know. What I'm saying? Well, they might think it's easy to throw out the white trash, but they better. Fucking burn it! You're Fred Hampton. You must be the preacher man. Well, I'm a fan of y'all's paper. The raw footage Ryan showed Chairman Jr. was an early take of a scene in which Chairman Fred Sr., played by Daniel Kaluuya, visits a meeting of the Young Patriots. In real life, the Young Patriots organization was a group of white Chicago activists. They fought for their community that was discriminated against because it was Southern and poor. Many of the Young Patriots were racist, and the Confederate flag was at one point a firm part of their identity. In the film, a giant Confederate flag is on prominent display behind the speaker, Young Patriot leader William Preacherman Vesperman, who's played by Nick Fink. 
The way director Shaka King first shot the scene, Chairman Senior addresses Preacher Man and the audience as he walks up to the stage. What if the overseer had banded with the slaves and cut the masters through? We might not be in this funky ass ghetto right now. I'm not talking about the west side or the south side. I'm talking this filthy ass motherfucker right here. Shit, I bet y'all babies getting the same bullshit education. Y'all paying the same taxes to get your heads whooped in by the same motherfucking pigs. Ain't that a trip? We pay them. Huh? We pay the pigs to run us off of our corns. When we initially shot it, how the scene was blocked, it's, it's a beautiful scene in the film. Preacher Man's character just happened to be up on the on the dais, and Chairman was talking to him. So Chairman was talking to him, he was looking up at him. And um, <laughs> and Chairman Chairman Junior was like, yo, it's a good, you know, it's a good scene. Like y'all, y'all doing Shaka doing this thing. We was like, yo, why is he looking up at him like that? Especially with that flag behind him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Just the image of him looking up to them, to uh who cares who's who's portraying uh preacher man at the time. He basically said, look, Daniel yes. look good, it's looking good, but y'all y'all yes. mess y'all messing yes. up a few yes. days, man. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. So I was, so he, he was like, man, you understand this is a, this is problematic, right? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yo, it was like day two. I'm like, Sharon, we could, let me talk to Shaka. We could probably reshoot yeah. it. You know what I mean? This goes like not only on the set, but this also goes in the school. It goes in media. The question of race impacts every discussion that we have. But you know, Shaka was was great and and and, and wanted and saw that himself and was like, y'all, this this this, this, yeah. this should be improved. You know what I mean? Like, like in terms of blocking. In the final cut, Preacher Man comes down off the dais as Chairman Fred walks toward him. So both men are at eye level. Director Shaka King had made the adjustment this time. But sometimes there were things that he couldn't or wouldn't change, which of course didn't always make Chairman Jr. happy. The differences often came down to the tension between making a film that's factually specific and accurate and creating a movie that is artistic, dramatic, and compelling. Shaka was honest and direct with Chairman Jr. and his family about what could and could not be tweaked. The negotiations were constant. At one point, the movie's team was sitting down with Chairman Jr. every day, reviewing lists of sticking points like wardrobe or set design details. Two of the earliest issues that still stand out for Chairman and Ryan were who's at the center of the story and what to call the film. The original title was Jesus Was My Homeboy, is meant to capture the idea that the story is told from the perspective of William O'Neill, the film's antagonist. O'Neill was the career thief who helped plan the raid that killed Chairman Sr. And for Chairman Jr., his mother, and other Panthers, Jesus was my homeboy implied that O'Neill and Chairman Fred Sr. were friends. That was a problem. Everything is political. It's terms, words, you name it. The title, along with another story we had, even from the perspective of who the story is being told from, you know what I'm saying, William O'Neill. Uh, so those are two major concerns, you know what I'm saying, who was coming from it, the, the, the title. And, and what was it about Jesus was my homeboy? The term, like like the homeboy, like O'Neill was not his friend, you know what I'm saying? This is a structured organization respecting the leadership, not just on subjective, this is my friend or my homie. That's different between a friend and a comrade. The primary concern was the uh, subjective, demeaning the, the, the or devaluing a revolutionary organization. Of course, the filmmakers weren't just seeking Chairman Jr.'s approval for making Judas and the Black Messiah. They also wanted the blessing of Mama Akua and Jerry, Chairman Sr.'s widow. 
especially because her character is in the film, played by Dominique Fishback. When we come back, I'll talk to Mother Akua. I don't think whoever played me had to look like me, but Dominique fit the bill. She presented a nice side, but I knew she could cut somebody. Back in a bit. This podcast is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures, Judas and the Black Messiah. The Golden Globe Critics' Choice, WGA, and SAG Award-nominated film, now playing in theaters and streaming exclusively on HBO Max for 31 days. It's time the world knows the truth about Chairman Fred Hampton. Watch the film, know his name, share his legacy. Judas and the Black Messiah, rated R. Hi there, and welcome back. This is the official podcast of Judas and the Black Messiah. When Akua and Jerry joined the Black Panther Party in the 1960s, her name was Deborah Johnson. In the film, she's played by Dominique Fishback with Daniel Kaluuya as Chairman Fred. You think you're going to be a bad mother? It was a question. Why you got to ask yourself that? I don't, I don't know. Maybe the fact that I'm bringing a child into a war zone... These aren't considerations you have to make. You get to go out there, talk about dying a revolutionary death and how your your body belonged to the revolution because you don't have another person growing inside your body. Today, Mother Akua and Jerry is a member of the advisory board for the Black Panther Party Cubs, BPPC. She was an advisor on the film. She told me about saying yes after turning down decades of offers to tell the story. We're going to include movies that would highlight the police and Chairman Fred would be a coincidental and other ones that I didn't feel would do justice or even come close to the history and the legacy of Chairman Fred and the Black Panther Party. So it's it's been a lot. They go in one ear and out the other. I don't waste a lot of time on it, and I don't have any regrets about not participating in the ones that we didn't participate in. What made you believe that this was the right team to trust with your family's life? When I met with directors, producers, I was really impressed with Ryan Coogler, He seemed to be about that business. I was really impressed when Daniel and the young lady that's playing me, they came to the Hampton house and I'm watching Daniel. And when he talked about himself and some of his experience, I think I whispered to him, Oh, you got this. I know it. Yeah. But also, it was really good to sit down actually with the people because a lot of times people want to do projects and it was like they were there and we were insignificant. So to sit down and meet with them and even the battles that we had, 
I mean, they wore me out. Chairman probably more so than me because he was there 24-7. And um, it's good. It's a good process, and there's still some struggles going on. Dominique Fishback, who played you, what did you think of her when you first met her? And did you get a chance to talk to her about the way you wanted her to look? I mean, look at this beautiful hair of yours. I mean, what did you say to her about her hair and the way she looked, that kind of thing? Because that's important because they had to get those details right, didn't they? Well, I don't think whoever played me had to look like me, but Dominique fit the bill. She presented like a nice side, but I knew she could cut somebody. (laughs) That's what I felt. So I might be talking too much. And it was nothing she said. She just looked too sweet and innocent over there. I said, oh, yeah, uh-huh. something brewing under there. So uh, it it was good. It was good. And I really appreciate the work that they put in to make this happen. And I really appreciate Chairman Fred. I'm knocking on the table because I couldn't have did all of those days and back to back because you relive it over and over and over. Then you get mad and you when you go home, you got to cuss the people out. You can't cuss out on the set. I told Chairman a couple of times, I said, I'm glad you gave me the eye a few times because you know I was getting ready to let loose. But uh, I wouldn't have done it in a correct political summation. I'd have went street on their ass. What we're talking about here, though, is is honesty here and authenticity, right? And I just wondered if you guys felt like there's some kind of essential truth that you wanted to be played out in this film, that there's something specifically, not just about the way you were played or Chairman's played in the movie, but a truth about the party that you thought had to be in the movie. Now, I didn't come in idealistically and think it was going to be power to the people. You know, everybody was going to agree on what I said. But at least have a strong presence and semblance of what the party was about and what that particular segment of the party life represent. Now, this is not the whole story of the Black Panther Party. This is a small segment of the focus, Judas and the Black Messiah. Let's talk a little bit then about the things that you were vibing with. I mean, can you talk about the first time when you saw the movie, when we see you on screen, um what you thought about that when you saw that moment, seeing Dominique as you on the screen for the first time? It was good. I was impressed. I have a lot of political struggles throughout my life with subjectivity and uh, sometimes reactionary. And then I'm a sweetie pie. Dominique did it all. (laughs) 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 She did three of Deborah Johnson. (laughs) Hi. Evening. 
thought your speech was, was really interesting. Thank you, sister. When Mama Akua first met Chairman Fred in the late 60s, her name was Deborah Johnson. In the film, we're introduced to her character after his speech at a community college in Chicago. Do you like poetry? I mean, it's cool, but as Che Guevara said, words are beautiful by action supreme, you dig? I dig. But, um... But... You were up on that stage using words, so maybe next time choose them a bit more carefully. Instead of tearing down a folk you call yourself recruiting just because they demonstrate a little black pride. But just so you know, you are a poet. In the film where we're introduced to the character, your character, when she meets Chairman Fred, how much of that sort of triggered who you were at that time? Because in the film we meet her, she's in the poetry. How much of you did you see in her? So when I met Chairman Fred, I had my little poetry book with me, the poems that I wrote. And um, I was going to just, how do you say, just really impress him, these bad poems that I wrote. So when I went up to him after the event at Wright City College where Chairman spoke, and we talked about different things, and I asked him, well, what do you think about poetry? So this is my intro to show him my book. And Chairman said, if poetry or any kind of art does not reflect the conditions and the needs and the fight back of the people, that means nothing. So I ain't with it. I hear my little poetry book and say, me, the chair, Dominique, they're even later in the movie referencing poetry. But that did not happen. I never showed him my poetry book. No. Yeah, never. Really? I really stopped writing. I wanna wanna share something with you. Like the masses, I was in awe. When I first laid eyes on all the things you are. I heard that speech and when an indent pierced your cheek, I knew we make noise. I just I thought it'd be in the streets. What magic a, a philistine and a poet could create? A philistine? What do you call a philistine? Seriously, come up to me right now. What magic a philistine and a poet could create? However contradictory, it would seem that it's fate. Because I had this kind of romanticism or abstract poetry thing, you know what I'm saying? It talked about some things, but it was nowhere revolutionary or politically advantageous other community. And I felt so, oh, just out of it. So it wasn't about me and my great writing skills. 
It was about what's the purpose of this stuff you write, you know? I just wonder, when you saw the finished film, if there were scenes that were particularly hard for you to watch. I can't remember uh, offhand, but, but let me say this. In watching that film, I really miss the camaraderie, the um, daily political struggles and education that was 24-7 in my life. And having a chairman that I could dialogue with 24 hours. He would wake me up at night and say, Ham, Ham, what you think about this? Uh, which he didn't really care what I thought about it, but he was asking to see how it would fit in with the speech he was going to do the next day. I missed that, and I hadn't realized that I missed it till I saw that magic with Dominique and Daniel. I mean, they were, they connected. The poet. What a pleasant surprise. I saw your ad in the paper looking for a new speechwriter. I figured I better come lend a hand. Well, that must have been a mystery. See, I'll write speeches, sis. I just get up on stage and speak truth to the people. Oh, it's show. The lack of preparation, that is. They got you here. In Judas and the Black Messiah, we see the pre-dawn police raid on Fred Hampton's apartment. It's mostly gunfire. Officers yanked Deborah Johnson away from Fred Hampton and out of their bedroom, firing the fatal shots in the chairman's body as Deborah's back is turned. What do you know? We got a board here. Looks like he's gonna make it. He's good and dead now. The scene ends there, but of course, not for the real Deborah Johnson, who is now Mother Akua. She was almost nine months pregnant during the assault. A few months later, with her toddler son, Chairman Fred Jr., on her lap, she recounted the details of the raid for a camera crew. See the shoot jump on the top chin. Mattress is just going. You can feel bullets going into it. Never said a word, never got up out of bed. Uh, a person was in the room, they kept calling out, stop shooting, stop shooting. We have a pregnant woman or a pregnant sister in here. They pushed uh, me and the other brother by the uh, kitchen door and told us to face the wall. I heard a pig say, he's barely alive, he'll barely make it. I assume they were talking about Chairman Fred. When we spoke about what it was like for her, seeing Chairman's murder reenacted, she told me, yes, of course it was difficult to watch. But 
in the final analysis, I needed that uh, to see it again, to see different things were brought to my mind that happened then that I had really buried and uh, just to keep moving every day. And it, it, it was necessary. And I have been talking about the assassination. In fact, the Cubs, Black Panther Party Cubs, they have two main events, um, August 30th, Chairman Fred Streets Party, a.k.a. Birthday Celebration, and December 4th, International Revolutionary Day, the anniversary of the assassination. Those two events, I always give a reaccount of what happened. And doing that for me is strengthening. It's like a um, fight back. You know, where I'm not laying in the corner crying, boo-hooing about what happened, but knowing that there's a responsibility to continue this fight for self-determination till freedom is won. And I don't have the illusion that because I'm living, it's going to happen in my lifetime or because I said it needs to happen. It's a, it's a continuous struggle. What do you think the value of this film will be? Or what do you think the value of the film is? The value of the film, I hope, is that people who don't know or even thought they knew will go back and continue to study and understand who Chairman Fred and what the Black Panther Party was. I hope that people will not be saying, man, if I had been back there when the Panthers was around, I'd have did this, that, and the third. See, in my day, people would say, man, if I had been around during slavery, I wouldn't have took that shit. You know what I'm saying? People need to come away from this, knowing that the struggle is still going on. And I still believe to this day what we were fighting for in the 60s has not been achieved. And that's the reality. So we, what other response can we get but to still fight for self-determination, control over our Black lives? In our next episode, actor Daniel Kaluuya on becoming Chairman Fred. Essentially, you have to surrender your kind of yourself, your values. And so every morning before set, I would listen to a Malcolm X speech. I would listen to a Martin Luther King speech because I had read that he had done that, you know. I do what he had done. This podcast is a production of 99% Invisible, Proximity Media, and Warner Brothers. The series is written by Christopher Johnson, our supervising producer. Roman Mars is our editor. Our senior producer is Delaney Hall. Abby Madon is our associate producer. Special thanks also to producer Emmett Fitzgerald. Our music was composed by Sean Rial. Graham Haysha is our fact checker. 
Bryson Barnes is our mix engineer. Special thanks to Layla Wills, our sync producer in Chicago. And I'm your host, Elvis Mitchell. See you next time. Radiotopia.